Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the continued resilience of the First Nations peoples on the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We like to acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Jolene Elberth is a community organiser and activist who focuses on racial justice, migrant rights and issues of detention. Uh, She joins me on the show now to tell us about a workshop that she's running called Critical Consciousness Building. Jolene, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Um, So let's get straight into it. The the workshop subtitle is How Do We Get Woke and Stay Woke? Um, And Mm. that sounds fairly descriptive to me, but just in case people don't really understand the idea of critical consciousness, what what does the workshop cover? Yeah, so I actually chose that... um, that tagline of getting woke and staying woke because this idea of being woke has really permeated social movement pop culture for the last few years at least. Um, So yeah, it's great. We think about, uh, I mean, I think wokeness really gets at what critical consciousness is, an awareness of the issues around us, but we don't talk as much about how do you help other people become conscious with you of these issues and then also at the same time the important part is to be motivated to do something about it yeah Yeah, and so it it sounds like it's a um a particularly useful thing for people who are interested in community organizing because um i I assume you do address sort of addressing your own um your own biases and your own um sort of approaches to certain um, social issues, uh, but but part of that sounds like you're you're also seeking to sort of plant seeds in people as they go out into the community and setting up their organization own organizations. Is that right? Yeah, I think that um, you know the workshop is open and and I think will be useful for anybody who's interested in social movement work or social movement learning. I mean, if you think about it, we. If we're doing this work, we've all had some experience where our consciousness has been raised, right? Where we stopped for a minute and said, oh, hold up, maybe the world doesn't quite work the way that I I thought it did. And uh, we're all doing this work because we're motivated to do something about it. So it's really about thinking how can we make sure in our work that we're not just inviting people out to actions to come chant or... Um, you know, sing a song or have a slogan with us, but we're also doing the work of um, that allows people to have those same transformative experiences that we we have through the social movement, whatever social movement work we've been doing. Um, you know, I think that social movements are powerful and they have like the real opportunity to transform people. Um, I know I've had that experience, and so I want us, like, this is an opportunity to think about how can we make sure we're creating that experience in the work that we're doing. Fantastic. So, um, speaking about specifically what people will be doing in the work course, mm-hmm. is it a, 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 like, a set of practices, or is it a 
really just a, a, a way to train yourself into a shift of mindset. Is it possible to do this in a single workshop as well? No, I mean, yeah. I think uh, it's, it's about having the space for the conversations, right? I think the, the workshop is based a lot on um, the theory of the Brazilian educator and, and activist Pablo Freire, who in early 70s, he wrote a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It's a really radical and amazing, influential book. Um, and, you know, the thing that he really pushes in that book is about um, using praxis in our work. So not just action, but also those moments of reflection. So I think in the workshop, we'll be basing it on that theory, but we'll actually be talking about what our own personal experiences are. So a lot of reflection, you know, again, I think we all have stuff to draw on. And then the opportunity to think about, okay, in the work we're doing, where are some spaces we might be able to get better at incorporating praxis into our work? Um, or where are some spaces that we want to, or ideas we want to explore for how to do it? Yeah. Sure. So um, in, in doing this, mm. what, what happens when the person sets foot into the workshop? Like, what can they expect on the day? Yeah. Um, well, expect a, a really open and welcoming space, first and foremost. Um, usually with the Melbourne Campaigner Network events, there's a bit of mingling. You know, that it's really a space for all people doing social movement work to, to have a space to come together and share. Um, so it would be really casual. And then once we sit down, there'll be lots of, you know, small group chats and, and lots of sharing, lots of chances to um, bring your own work into the room. You mentioned the Melbourne Campaigners Network. Now, this is something that some of our listeners will be familiar mm. with. But for those of those who aren't, um, can, can you describe the, 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 the program for us, Melbourne Campaigners Network? Yeah, sure. I can try. Um, <laughs> it's sort of a Melbourne Campaigners Network is a, a loose network, and it's a project of Plan to Win, um, which is a social movement learning organization. Um, and so the Campaigners Network uh, really tries to have a few events throughout the year, multiple events where just people doing this work have a chance to come together, share, learn, you know, kind of talk about our experiences or do some workshops. So, yeah. Fantastic. So getting back to the, the content of the course, um, could you tell us about maybe your experience at the, um, the Congress of Day Labourers where you've just come yeah. from in New Orleans? Um, and how you adopted or um, sort of promoted critical consciousness there. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, right, so previously to coming to Melbourne, I was working as a community organizer um, at a, a worker centre. It was the New Orleans Worker Centre for Racial Justice. And um, our project was working with uh, mostly undocumented immigrant workers um, and their families in the US. And we were part of the Not One More campaign. So we were doing a lot of work around ending deportations, um, stopping criminalization of Latino workers. Um, and yeah, I was really blessed to work in an organization where the membership base um, had a lot of power. Um, and so leadership development and, and consciousness raising was a big part of what I, what I did as an organizer, right? So. Um, so with, the, with the, um, the undocumented workers who came into the center, you were trying to get them to um, sort of be more critical of their, their own situation and um, sort of analyze the 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 systems of 
inequality and yeah, um, yeah. that sort of thing that they that they're working through. And yeah, that, yeah, exactly that. Really, I mean, that's mm. the you know we're as a social movement organization. We had campaigns frequently targeting different issues from police harassment to you know detention issues um, through wage theft cases. We spanned the whole gamut. Mm. Um, but in that process, we didn't want our, uh, the members of the organization to just participate in actions. They were actually part of um, analyzing the issue and then also deciding what the solution to it would be. Um, so that's that reflection part of the, the process. Right? Yeah, sure. And so that would transform them and their participation in the activism yeah. from a sort of like a band-aid approach where they approach individual issues and turn it into a longer-term sustainable activism. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways that, like, people like can kind of have their views transformed on around, you know, campaigning or social movement work. But I think that when you as an individual, no matter who you are, if you're, like, a Latino migrant worker or, you know, myself, for example... Um, you have that moment of first realizing that you can question power and that you can organize against it, but then also the the opportunity to analyze it and like build those solutions yourself. You start to be transformed in how you look at the world and look at solving issues around you. So yeah, I think that's what I'm getting at when I'm talking about like transformative social movements. Yeah, that's wonderful. So uh, obviously the, the the workshops are open to quite a, to, mm. to many people. But who do you most want to turn up um, to the workshop? Like, who, who really needs to turn up? I mean, I'm looking forward to, to meeting whoever comes. I think that if people come and they have, you know, some sort of experience to, to share or some thoughts around the issue, that's great. Um, people who are doing this sort of work and want to think about, you know, not only, like, how can we... Um, incorporate praxis better but build intersectional movements um, is another you know really key thing Um, but also people who are just interested in the topic like will have something to share on it so really everybody's welcome beautiful that's right you heard that folks everybody's welcome (laughs) um so to uh to sort of sum up we're, we're talking about the critical consciousness building workshop which is on on the uh, with the subtitle how do we get work and stay work mm-hmm. that's uh early next month it's october what's the date october 11th october so wednesday 11th. that's yeah. right and how can people sign up if they're interested in turning up yeah um so it'll be from 6 to 8 p.m we'll do it after work mm-hmm. and you know the best way to find out about it is probably to go over to the plan to win website um and that's where the all the info on the melbourne campaigners networks events can be found That's right, and we'll have all the details on our website. Uh, Jolene, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Do you live in Darabin? Darabin Council is here to help you in whichever language you speak. If you have a question about your rates, rubbish collection or any council matter, call us on our multilingual telephone line on 8470 8470 to speak with one of our officers or an interpreter. Or you can visit us at our office in Preston, Reservoir or Northcote. Call us on 8470 8470 or come and see us. A 3CR supporter. Now, um, if you're interested in the Critical Consciousness Building Workshop, I think we did say the details earlier, but it'd be good to underline that it's on Wednesday the 11th of October from 6 to 8 p.m. at 60 Leicester Street in Carlton. And if you wanted to uh, register for that, just email holly at plantowin.net.au and that's also their website, plantowin.net.au. 
Uh, and next up is Over the Wall. Over the Wall is an interview contains an interview with Yana Favero from the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. Take it away, Peter. On Over the Wall now, we'll focus on a recent news story impacting the most vulnerable grouping of people in our community, asylum seekers. Human Services Minister Alan Tudge stated that asylum seekers living in Australia will be stripped of financial support if they refuse to return to Manus Island and Nauru. It was a miserly 200 bucks a fortnight payment while people received medical treatment in the country. That's blow one, loss of income to these people. Blow two, announced by Minister Tudge, will be giving these people three weeks to move out of their government accommodation to take away their housing. Think about that in terms of these people are often families with children. The response from refugee advocates has been strong. Last week, Human Rights Law Centre Executive Director Hugh de Crestner said, Asylum seekers have been prevented from working, and now completely out of the blue, with no notice whatsoever, they've been told tomorrow, you have no income, we're taking all of your income away, and in three weeks' time, we're taking your homes away. The new initiative to strip housing and food money from people in recovery stages is a new savagery in our government's attitude towards human rights. Jana Favero, Director of Advocacy and Campaigns at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Could you describe some examples of people impacted adversely by income and housing cuts to asylum seekers in Australia? Yes, certainly. So two weeks ago, there was a new change in policy for people who had been transferred to Australia from Nauru and Manus Island for medical treatment for birth of a baby. Some people had been subject to sexual assault while they were on Manus and Nauru. Some had been bashed. So they're all people who have been transferred to Australia for a significant reason and there are about 400 people in that group. Uh, Due to some really successful campaigning and community support, people are remaining in Australia at the moment while they're either having that medical treatment or that we know that Manus and Nauru is not a suitable place for people seeking asylum or refugees to be safely held. So it was quite a shock when people started receiving phone calls from the Department of Immigration calling them into an interview and then they were informed that from that day all income support would be lost and these were people who previously had not had the right to work so the income support was their only lifeline and that in three weeks they would be evicted from their housing. So while it's uh, about 400 people as part of the total group, the first wave of people to be called in to have the income cuts and their housing removed were just over 60 people nationwide and the first group were single males and females who were part of that group and as I mentioned some of them had been women who were um, victims of, of sexual assault while they were in Australia's care and offshore processing so it's really as you can imagine going from one day to the next being told that you are losing all support like one person came to had $10 in their bank account because the income support was quite meagre anyway. So it's just a really unnecessary and cruel policy shift. Why do you think the federal government has initiated these cuts? 
Uh, it's a really good question. And as a caring Australian person, I don't understand at all why they would do it. It's, it's unnecessary. It's cruel. There's no reason to do it from amnesty reports to UNHCR reports. Um, it's quite clear that the conditions on Manus Island and Nauru are not safe for people seeking asylum or refugees. I think the government is just trying to force the people into a corner so that they will be destitute, they will be homeless and they'll be forced to either return to Manus or Nauru or back to their home country and back to, to danger. But there's really no sense or no reason that this needs to happen apart from possibly a political imperative and the government hoping maybe, but, you know, as usual, they crack down on people seeking asylum and they hope to get a boost in the polls. Has there been any rights to an appeal process for these asylum seekers after having their income and housing taken away? No, there isn't any um, appeal process because while under the United Nations there are a whole lot of requirements, for example, that people should have the right to work, that children should be, be safe and have access, they are all guidelines that Australia has signed up to, but we haven't legislated any of those in our domestic legislation. And so the people who have been transferred from Manus and Nauru who are subject to the new visa conditions, there's really no legal recourse to be able to stop them being put onto a new visa with more punitive conditions. It really just means that then it's up to the support of the, the community, the NGO sector, the refugee sector, to then step in and, and, and provide support to people. But this is a cut to the social safety net for the most vulnerable people living in Australia and there's very little ability for these people to communicate with the government or the department about this. That's right. And, you know, successive governments have removed any legal rights or protection for people seeking asylum over the years. I mean, it, it's a group who have been really treated unfairly, who don't have normal access to appeals process because of changes in our laws towards people seeking asylum. So it is really a very unfortunate situation, which is where you hear like policies and laws change and you read about it, but the impact in this case, is really on people who have fled their home country because of fear of death or persecution, have arrived in Australia seeking safety. We've then changed our law, shipped them off to Manus or Nauru. They've been so unwell, they've had to be transferred to Australia, and now we're trying to ship them off again. So it really is extremely cruel, and it's unfair, it's unnecessary, and because of any legal safeguards have been removed, it does place people in a very vulnerable position to be deported to danger. What work can the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre and other community members do to advocate on behalf of these asylum seekers in Australia? Two main things that people can do and that the ASRC is doing. One is just to make sure that people are not forced into destitution. The ASRC, along with other refugee organisations across Australia, really stepped in to say we will not let this happen, that we will somehow find the resources to provide housing and access to sort of emergency relief and material aid for people. And we've done that as of other agencies by just doing a big fundraising effort. So one of the first things people can do is, is donate to their local refugee or asylum support agency, for example, in Victoria, such as Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, Baptist Care, Bridgetine's Red Cross. The other thing in terms of advocacy is just to use 
your voice, people to really call their local MPs to call Bill Shorten's office, to call Malcolm Turnbull's office and just really express their discontent with this policy because it goes against any values of compassion and fairness. And really, you know, we have, as a country, elected the government. We are fortunate we're in a democracy and we don't get persecuted for being in a democracy. So I really encourage people to advocate and to, to contact their local MP about this as an issue and say it's important to them. There's one positive development recently, which is the Andrews government saying it's going to cover the the funding shortfall for income support and and housing for asylum seekers that have been denied these services by the federal government. We really, really welcome that news of the Andrews government stepping in and saying that they will be able to contribute to that gap. They've committed $600,000, which is fantastic. It's not enough to cover the whole shortfall, but combined with the community compassion that we've seen when people are offering their houses, people have been donating, the refugee sector is also stepping up. So between the refugee sector, you know, caring community that's contributed and the Andrews government, then hopefully that will provide enough of a safety net for in the first six months that people won't be forced into destitution and homelessness. But it was a very strong call from the Andrews government and we applaud them for really taking the politics out of this just to being about compassion and fairness and making sure that no one living in the Victorian community who has arrived seeking asylum will be forced onto the street. So it's definitely a welcome announcement and they'll be partnering with agencies in Victoria to make sure that money gets to be able to provide housing and a safe net to those who need it most. And let's hope that other state governments can follow that example. Absolutely, that would be great. I mean, you don't often, working in the asylum space, get good news. It's been quite a successive, brutal years. I think I've been working for the ASLC nearly eight years and there hasn't been much good news, but the Andrews government announced it was definitely good news and we really would um, love to see other states do a similar thing. So there's definitely hope for that. Yana Favero, thanks for speaking to Over the Wall on Community Radio 3CR. Thank you for having me on. This is a public service announcement. And number two, you have the right to food money. Providing a cause, you don't mind a little investigation, humiliation. You are listening to Monday Breakfast, and that was Over the Wall. Thank you so much, Peter, for what is always great content re- uh, referring to the wall that's been put up between social services and the people who really le- need them. 3CR is actively advocating for equality in the lead-up to the National Postal Survey on same-sex marriage. As such, we will not give airtime to the No campaign on the basis that it is prejudiced, homophobic and harmful to LGBTIQ people and our families. Our community may hold different views on marriage as an institution, yet we agree this postal survey is a political stunt designed to appease prejudiced and homophobic views. 3CR will continue to advocate for equality in all areas. At this particular time in our political climate, we need to ensure that our members, friends and colleagues know that 3CR is a safe space for all our community.
Scott Jordan is campaign coordinator for Save the Tarkine, and I have him on the phone to talk to us about the Nelson Bay River Mine and 80,000 cubic metres of acid-producing waste. Scott Jordan, uh, welcome to Monday Breakfast. Uh, well, thank you. We may as well jump straight into it. Uh, last week on the 13th, you folks at Save the Tarkine came out with a statement referring to uh, 80,000 cubic metres of acid-producing waste that Tasmanian Resources Minister Guy Barnett seems to have completely forgotten. Um, what, what is this in re- reference to? Where is this waste and what's the, um, what's the, the problem with it? Look, well, the, the waste in relation to uh, the Nelson Bay River mine site in the in the Tarkine. It's an area that uh, some of your listeners might remember we, we campaigned very hard to prevent a mine from going ahead. We we took a case to the uh, federal court uh, where we were successful that the mine had been um, unlawfully approved. Um, the, the then Labor government um, re-approved it and, and the mine commenced operation only to fall over seven months in. But the reality is the campaign against the mine lasted longer than the mine did. That's um, right. It fell over in 2014 after the price of iron ore fell. That's, um, that's right. Yeah. So, so what about this, this acid-producing waste? What's happening there? Well, look, what, what we're left with there at the moment is um, the, the mine produced an amount of, of acid-producing waste. Now, the the proponents of, of the mine and the, and the industry in general likes to refer to this material as potentially acid-forming. However, what we're dealing with is, is effectively sulphides. And, and for those that have got, a, I guess, a basic understanding of the chemistry, um, when you expose those sulphides to um, oxygen in the air, so but the very process of, of digging it up, um, you start a chemical reaction where those sulphides turn, uh, start converting into sulfuric acid. So about the leach of the uh, the acid, what are the uh, the potential sort of ill effects of having that acid leach into the Nelson Bay River? Well, look, the, the immediate effect is you you have a, a highly acidic um, yeah discharge that could you know, not only into the Nelson Bay River but in into the surrounding um, heathland and forest areas surrounding that uh, mine site. But but the the other impact is of course that the um, the acids will dissolve minerals from the, the rock um, within that waste pump, and so you start to see other um, metallic elements being dissolved and um, bring to a very fine suspension that makes its way into the water courses. And and often what we see, um, and what we would expect to see in this, if, it, if it's not addressed, is that um, the acid will dissolve iron from some of that rock and we'll end up with a, a very fine iron um, particulate getting into that waterway and the experience from similar mine sites around the state where we've had that problem is is it clogs up the gills and the respiratory systems of all of the aquatic life and um, you know, if we look at um, a, a similar um, you know, failure around acid mine drainage at a, at a site called Luina about 100 kilometres as the crow flies from this one um, we've got a 6 kilometre dead zone in that river where there's just no aquatic life is able to live in it, and um, that that particular site will continue to get worse for the next three to four hundred years um, if it's not addressed. And so we're at the very beginning of a problem at Nelson Bay River. We've had three years of inaction, and we're really agitating that the um, you know, if the company's no longer able to to meet its obligations, and and yeah, you know, um, it's our view that the, the government has mismanaged this, and the company's been allowed to. 
um, avoid its responsibilities there, then the government must intervene immediately to, to make sure this issue is being managed. So why is it that you folks at Save the Tarkine have now come out with this, um, with this uh, media release condemning Minister, uh, Minister for Resources Guy Barnett and also the Labor Party? What, what was the uh, initiating um, cause for that statement to come out? Well, look, I guess there was, there was two two separate issues relating there. Um, you know, the, the one relating to the, the minister around this mine was the fact that um, he was asked by one of his uh, parliamentary colleagues from, you know, from, from a different party, um, from the Greens, uh, what was happening with that site and, and what efforts were being made to, to manage that acid mine drainage issue. And the minister chose to deny there being any such problem, and he effectively hid behind a, a, um, you know, a veneer of the, uh, the, the question related to the, the Nelson Bay River site, um, uh, which, is, which is the name of the project. It's the Nelson Bay River um, mine. Um, and the minister um, took the opportunity to play word games and suggest that there was no issue at Nelson Bay River and then under further questioning, he, he admitted that there was an issue at the Nelson Bay River mine site. And so it was a, it was a pretty silly game. There's 80,000 cubic metres of acid-producing waste there. Um, it's pretty hard to overlook. He knew exactly what we were talking about. It has been um, in, the, in the media for, yeah, for well beyond the three years that there's been the inaction. There was a, a lot of controversy in the lead-up to the mine being approved. Um, it was a silly game you know, that the minister played, and um, you know we expect you know, him to actually you know, get on top of the issue, not not find ways to avoid admitting to it. That's right. And you also throw some criticism at the Tasmanian Labor Party, um, saying that they've betrayed the principal decision they took in 2012 to stand up for Aboriginal heritage. What what do you mean by that? Well, look in the in the previous government, um, the Labor Party um, took measures to close. Uh, a number of uh, four-wheel drive recreational vehicle um, tracks um, along the Tarkine Coast, on the Tarkina Coast. And the reason for that being that uh, over the last 30 years there's been a huge amount of, of uncontrolled access in, in that area and uh, significant Aboriginal sites were being vandalised and destroyed um, by the actions of some of the recreational vehicle users and... Uh, um, you know, four-wheel drivers in that area. And out of the 95 tracks that were were identified in that area, the, the previous Labor government took a decision to close 15 of them. Uh, the Liberal Party went to the last election promising to reopen those sites through those Aboriginal um, sites. And um, we, we had... I guess we've been campaigning for a long time and the, uh, to get those tracks, uh, you know closed uh, and working with the Aboriginal community to do so and yeah, under the current government the Aboriginal community has had to resort to taking cases to the federal court to try and prevent those tracks from being opened. Uh, last week we saw the Labor Party um, roll over on that, that principal decision they'd previously made and, and under electoral pressure they've now said that they will, um, yeah, they will abide by the decision of the current assessment that, that is going before the the Federal Environment Minister. Now, um, you know, we think Labor got it right to close those tracks. They, sh- they shouldn't have been opened uh, in the first place, but to have that much damage over that, that many years um, when um, Labor made a, a good decision to close those, and there was good rationale for it. And to find that, um, 
you know, uh, now that the um, the Liberal Party seems to be getting a few votes off the back of, of trying to push into those tracks that they're going to roll over on their position to try and chase those votes, it's, it's just unprincipled. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I think Labor Party has sold their soul on this one. Um, so, uh, if people are more interested, if, if people in Melbourne, but also in Tasmania who may be listening to this, are interested in joining um, you folks in your, your campaigning on these issues, uh, where should they direct themselves? Oh, look, they can, they can certainly find us on Facebook at Save the Tarkine, or they can uh, access our website at tarkine.org. Um, but if, if you're in Melbourne this week, um, it's also worth... Um, we work very closely with the Bob Brown Foundation and with the Tasmanian Aboriginal um, Corporation. And, and this week in Melbourne, they're, on Wednesday night, they'll be holding a, an information session on the issue around those Aboriginal sites on the coast and the threat to them. And um, they'll be organising a, an evening there to let people know what's going on and to, to help people uh, you know, make a submission to the, the current... Um, assessment before the federal minister. The minister now has, um, we've got we've got basically the end of next week to make submissions uh, urging the minister to reject this um, yeah, push to, to reopen those tracks and the Aboriginal community is, is looking for all the help it can get and um, it, it'd be great to have some folk in Melbourne you know, making it very clear to the minister that um, this is not just an issue for Tasmania, this is national heritage, this is something that we care about right across this country. Absolutely, and so for folks who are interested in joining in um, in that event, we'll have all the information on our website, 3cr.org.au. You can also learn more about Save the Tarkine at tarkine.org. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on Monday Breakfast. No worries, thank you. Hello? Listen, I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy leg feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. The battle you've all been waiting to see. The battle of the sexes. You want to see it, right? Then get along and support 3CR at the Palace Withgarth Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th, from 6.30pm, for a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. The story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au, direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419 8377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Bobby. Tom, it's on. If you're interested in actually um, hearing about the other issue that we mentioned, which was the um, the recreational tracks through um, Indigenous um, sacred sites, then go to the Tarkine or Takaina campaign action meeting, which is on September the 20th at 7.15pm. And um, it's we have just about 10 days left, or actually less than that, to... Um, to respond to the Tasmanian government pushing ahead with plans to return the destructive off-road vehicle and dirt bikes, desecrating sacred Aboriginal heritage sites. Uh, if you're interested in turning up to the event, um, RSVP as, um, in to help our friends in the Tasmanian Aboriginal community by taking the message direct to the, his electoral heartland when it counts. Uh, it's 
at the Kathleen Syme Library and Community Centre, which we mentioned earlier, and 251 Faraday Street in Carlton. We'll put all the details up on our website, but if you're interested in RSVPing, contact Emma Wasson, emma at bobbrown.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.